same stuff. <coughs> okay. Hamburger. Just like that, we're going? The N-word! Just like that. And just I know like that, words, I have the best words. We're over. <laughs> and God bless the United States. <laughs> Can I hear the, the United States one? And God bless the United States. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, how was your week? Well, it's Tuesday. Since the last time we recorded. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, we last recorded on Thursdays. That's yeah, still not so that long ago. How was the weekend? How was, your, how was the five, how have your five days been? Um, fine. Yeah. Busy. Busy work, which is not, I mean, I haven't been at this place forever, you know, but. Um. Usually not busy around the holidays at the end of the year because it's librarians and they're all like not doing anything. Well, we're not there yet. This is finals week. Yeah. I know at at our school, finals are happening next week. So that's usually peak time for librarians. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah. This semester has... I don't know. I don't know. I feel like... Um, Hamburger. It all feels anecdotal. And, like, good research usually takes, like, 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like, from, like, thesis or hypothesis to, mm-hmm. you know, research and then publishing and then having other people vet your publishing. But right. uh, anecdotally, it feels like many of the incoming class in terms of like college freshmen uh-huh just feels a little different with their communication like interpersonal communication skills like their ability to do it yeah and just like their their willingness or their comfort you mm-hmm. know a, a raise in in like anxiety of public speaking which is like a common anxiety but you know, I kind of oversee one class and it's just been a, a higher amount of students who just are legitimately like, I cannot public speak and I refuse, you know, which I'm happy to accommodate. Mm-hmm. But then even trying to foster in-class discussion, it just, it's just way more painful. And I usually am able to find a way around it in this semester was one of the few times where I was just like, okay, I'm th- get out of here. <laughs> 20 minutes <laughs> yeah. early. Last class, I, I'm trying to foster a little bit of a conversation. You know what? Get lost. Um, do they not, do they have to take a public speaking class? Because that was part of the, that was a requirement. Maybe it was just because my major was education. Right. Did yeah. you have to take that at in college? Yeah, I had to do a public speaking. Yeah, you're, so do they not have that as like a requirement? You helped me with my public speaking speech. Did I? Yeah. <laughs> do you remember? No, not at all. We went out in the rain and ran and slid. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that's what that was for. And then I took notes on how many people stepped over you and mm. how many people walked around you. That's and a then great. I, uh... And then I tried to 
interview them really quickly after in bed. Why did you step <laughs> over them? Why did you walk around them? That's a great uh, social experiment. It was so stupid. It, <laughs> it's one of those things that, like, again, looking back on, on my life, I can definitely see this desire to, like, not be not be the age that I was mm-hmm. and just try to be like, you know, I'm just going to try really hard to not be stupid, mm-hmm. you know, to, and looking back, I'm like, oh, so stupid. Like, and, and some of the stuff you can't help, right? Like mm-hmm. you just, it's like I'll be in the white Lotus. You need the life experience to then formulate your own opinion on the Godfather and then articulate mm-hmm. it in a way that doesn't make you sound like, yeah, you're reading from a textbook to try and speak to somebody else at the table. Yeah. You're not articulating your own thoughts, you know, you're trying to project. And so, yeah, I think that's all you can do when you're young. The only thing you can do is project because you haven't lived a life. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I I think I still struggle with that as a 40 year old. Projecting? Just like uh, knowing, like under, kind of understanding I guess who I am or my place in the world. Mm. You know, like I've talked to you about that before where it's like, I walk the dogs through a neighborhood and I, I'm probably older than some of the people who are like out washing their car or whatever, Waving at you. some of the other adults. Mm-hmm. But the feeling that I have in my gut as I'm walking through the neighborhood mm-hmm. is like the feeling of like a 16 year old who's mm-hmm. nervous to get yelled at by somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was just today, I was just thinking about, cause I was walking the dogs again and I was walking them past, um, Glenwood, the mm-hmm. elementary school, mm-hmm. and the uh, Virginia Beach uh, groundskeepers were out there cutting the grass. Mm. And I realized, like, as I'm walking by, like, when I think about who I am and my place, like, in Virginia Beach, I still kind of default to, like, identifying as being like a groundskeeper. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, even though I haven't worked that job in 10, over 10 years. Right. But when I think about who I am in Virginia beach, I guess it still kind of feels like, Oh yeah, I'm just a, I'm just that groundskeeper. You're a man of the soil. You <laughs> <Yeah>. identify <laughs> as a, yeah. So I think that has to do with some, and I think, and, and we've talked about this too, but like, maybe it's a generational thing. I don't know how my parents, saw themselves Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like i always saw them as like old i always saw my dad as an old guy Mm -hmm. like always right i don't know if he was 50 years old and still you know had feelings of like a 20 year old or something Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean i don't know either my my feeling today talking to you about it is that that's all just a false sense of security in this world that doesn't offer you any security yeah like all of that bravado that you and I have have noticed in, you know, the people who raised us and stuff like that. I don't think that there was a clear idea of them on their identity. It was just a, an assumption that like they are this role, right? Mm-hmm. Like I am this person's dad, therefore I need to be this way. Yeah, there, there's no like circumspect. It's not like let me discover this role as I do it. It's like, I'm the dad. 
you know? Yeah. Well, I was going to say too, I think maybe part of it is that that generation also is never the idea to question it just never exactly. came up. It never came up. And, and you, you like, it's like an inheritance, right? It's viewed as like an inheritance. So like I've never used the cliches that were used to me, right? My house, my rules. Have you right. ever said that yeah. to your daughters? Right. Like I've never even come close to saying, right. <laughs> but yeah. I've had that said to me like so many times yeah. where it's like, this is a clear, like hierarchy, right? Like I pay for this. So you mm. do what I say. Mm. It's like, I, I don't have that perspective of my son. So, yeah, you know, and, and all of that again, to me is based out of this, not real identity, just an assumed identity of like, I am now the f- the father and the father does this you know what i mean yeah i don't feel like i like i think you and i both talked about right we don't feel like we really got good senses of who our fathers were yeah right right and so and i feel like indy has a good sense of who i am mm. so, you know we're, we're winging it but i think i can understand because i feel the same way you do even in my job i feel like i could get fired tomorrow because they're going to realize like right you're a kid. You don't yeah, belong this guy's here. A fraud. This guy's a fraud. Get yeah. out of here. And, and that's just a state of anxiety, though, that comes with, like, getting old, you mm. know? I was overwhelmed the other day with this feeling, like, my heart could just give out, you know? And if it did, people would be like, yeah, he was 41. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he was young, but he's not. It's not like he was. He was yeah. in his twenties. Yeah, you know? it's not an anomaly. It's not an anomaly. Right. You know, what I mean, the fact that my body is held up forty-one years is actually pretty amazing. Mm. You know, what I mean, that my heart could to, uh, to me, if my heart was like, "Hey, man, I'm done," I'd be like, oh. <laughs> "All right, 40, I get it." <laughs> forty-one years is a long time to keep going. Yeah. So you know. Uh, that that is not a comfortable place to exist in. So why yeah. not just be like, I'm the dad and I'm here till I die, and and I'm not going to think about it any more than that. Mm-hmm. Instead of living every day like nah, I could die. Yeah, <laughs> I'm assuming I'm going to die tomorrow. Right. <laughs> uh, anything you wanted to go off check off your list? Um, not really. I finished another audiobook. Okay. I and finished uh five Decembers as well. I almost I, I don't wanna <laughs> know. Okay. I mean, is my assumption Yeah, correct? no, there was nothing in the last hour or so that turned it around for me. It was completely respectable, total normal, just average book is how I took it. Five Five Decembers is a great book that actually does something new with the gumshoe detective narrative and takes it in an interesting way and manages to be what I want those stories to be, which are both kind of pulpy but also like hopelessly romantic. You know, that's the mm-hmm. that's the interesting dichotomy of those detectives, right? Is like they are both like hardened but also too soft for the world you know yeah the, the the best stories like that same thing with the factory series which i am i still don't have any idea about what book four is mm-hmm. 
but having read book two and the only thing that I saw in researching book three, like preparing to buy it was a blurb where it was like factory series, you know, uh, arguably the only other, you know, the, the higher in the list is book four, but book three, you know, and I was mm-hmm. like, Oh wow. People, but you said book four already. But so, so the story is book four caused the publisher to throw up, to throw at up as he's his, reading at his right. desk. And then you said that you read the premise, right? I saw just like a synopsis of what book four is about. And which, you said you could see why, right? After reading the first book, and just the way he writes and the way he goes into detail and describes things, I for sure could completely understand. Especially after listening to Five December's, and there's I think there's actually there's two moments now. There's one in the middle of the book where he snaps a guy's neck, <laughs> which is just written so brutally. And yeah. like, as again, I'm outside walking the dog and I'm going to never forget this. I, again, walking past the elementary school, walking right past the baseball field and I'm listening to this description and I wanted to like gag. It was so <laughs> tough. And then at the end, he does the same thing where he's like gutting some guy. Right. And just the way it's written and describing it is very, uh, it's not like gruesomely detailed, you know, mm-hmm. but for some reason, just the way it's, it's written. So I guess viscerally that mm-hmm. I don't know, it really connected. Yeah. And to, to me, it's written, it's, it's cranked, it's over cranked, right? All those noir narratives are, but that one really nails this kind of high low of like him going through his, work and how it how it makes him need to kind of take on some of the characteristics of the people he's trying to catch right to be brutal but then also what a redemption would look like like Mm -hmm. the ending of the book is just sappy it's just so sappy. yeah and i mean i guess that's probably where that's what loses me more than anything i do not care about any romantic storyline ever it just doesn't do anything for me (laughs) yeah but when you think about it in terms of like that character viewing his own redemption you know what i mean i wanted him to freeze to death so (laughs) i wanted him to just i wanted the book to just end with him maybe seeing a light you know what I mean? Because there's a point where he's like yeah. walking through the snow and he's not sure if he's going in the right direction. And then he does see the light and da, da, da. And, and I, that's when I wanted the book to end. The, so I could just be like, yeah, he just froze to death. Okay. I understand see. you could read it as he makes it there and blah, blah, blah. But I'm fine with just thinking he just got lost and he froze to death. <laughs> I liked it. I really, I, re- I really like the, the, cause you, you have to buy in as an author. Mm-hmm. To pull those narratives, you can't half-ass that, because to half-ass it, it becomes, you know, kind of cringe writing very quickly, mm-hmm. and you have to have a deft touch to know, like, in the Factory series, the Derek Raymond series that we're reading, like, I had moments where I was like just openly cackling reading it because it's just so cranked, and he's committing to these characters and the way that they talk, and mm-hmm. um, I just, I just love it so. Five Decembers, I think, is a fantastic book that kind of has more of like a hopeless. It's it's a noir written by like a hopeless romantic, and I also read a genre novel that was free on Audible, and 
I'd heard people talk about it and it just <clears throat> made me realize like I really we've talked about how I love genre stories mm-hmm. and especially with you know shows and stuff like that I give me the white lotus over the crown mm-hmm. you know what I mean like give me some something that's going to talk about rich people <laughs> mm-hmm. but also give me some murders Right. Give me something to sink my teeth into. Yeah. And I find it harder to really connect and engage with like genre fiction because, and I was trying to figure out why. And I think part of it is if you anticipate the ending in like a show or a movie, I think the ending just comes quicker. Like with a book, if you can anticipate, oh, this person's going to die or I see what's going to happen. Then you look and you're like, I got four hours left. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it just by its nature has to move so much slower. And then I get impatient. Right. And then the other thing too is in books. And I feel like more genre fiction books. The only thing they can do, because if they just tell you the narrative, it, it, it really is like, here's four more hours of this person executing the plan that you figured out. Mm-hmm. Hope you like it, you know, is to twist and twist and twist to make it like a page turner. Oh my God, that keeps happening. But in so many twists, you lose track of the characters. And I feel like that's what the White Lotus does really, really well is it makes you, it understands that you have to care about the characters. You you can't just care about the twist, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, anyway, I didn't really have a graceful entrance into White Lotus, but that was sure that was the entrance I had. What um, was the book that you finished? <coughs> you audio book? I was also holding in, like I was choking. Um, yeah, audio book. And I only got it because it was free. Mm-hmm. But the book is called "Who Is Maud Dixon," mm. and it has a few things I like. It's about uh, authors. I, I tend to like books about authors and it's a, it got recommended when I was in my big murder mystery phase Mm -hmm. and it got recommended tangentially to that. It's not a direct murder mystery. Um, Oh, I've seen this. Right. The cover is familiar. (laughs) Ooh, it's been, it's been going around. And it also is one of those Your books. Your cough or the book? Both. Mm. The book it's also been. falls into a tough category because Audible doesn't let you do half stars. So it's one of those books where it's like, I listen to it really quickly. You know? Mm-hmm. Easy to mm-hmm. follow. The, the reader was very good. And so I get to the end of the book. Was I blown away by the story? No. Did I listen to it almost in like one foot? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what do I rate it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Three stars feels harsh. Uh-huh. Four stars feels... Too much. Too much. Yeah. But I can't go three and a half. <clears throat> so I just thought about other people looking for a book and I went four. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'd rather read that than um, Bong Joon-ho's new movie just got a teaser mm-hmm. trailer. 
Coming out in 2024. <laughs> Why bother? Yeah. You know, but it's just like a five second thing. And I read that book because I love Bong Joon-ho. That book now, is Bong Joon-ho is the one that did Parasite. Parasite the host. and the host. Okay. Mother. I never saw Mother. Um, Man, just... Mother. Snow- that one? No. Snowpiercer. <laughs> Um, oh, he did Snowpiercer? Yeah, mm-hmm. Snowpiercers are great. It's great. I mean, so I went and grabbed Mickey 7, which is the new movie. It's mm-hmm. That's the book. The book is awful. <laughs> it sucks. I hated that book. Yeah. Hated it. Um, but it makes me excited that Bong Joon-ho can pick out an interesting narrative from this, like, broad story the story is mm. just so broad it has no purpose oh quick tangent you when we were talking a couple of days ago you asked me if i stood by my once upon a time in hollywood take oh that's the that was when i transitioned to white lotus i meant to touch on that yeah go so i went back and listened to the podcast we uh, did on it, uh, uh-huh, which uh-huh. I do stand by my take, but at the end of the podcast, you bring up a movie coming out sometime in the future by Bong Joon-ho called Parasite. Wild, huh? Look at that. <clears throat> how How is the episode going back? Do we sound young and... Uh, no, it was only two years ago, uh-huh. two and a half years ago, maybe. Were we captivating? Did we hold your attention? Yeah, I mean, I listened to the whole thing. And you and you stand by it. I stand by it. I mean, my take was basically that I really liked the movie. And I was just a little, made a little uncomfortable with the, the violence at the end. Mm-hmm. Because you don't see the people in the movie do anything bad. Right? Like, they don't do anything bad in the movie. And... A lot of that is predicated on knowing who the Manson family was and blah, 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 which, you know, we get a lot into um, Django and Inglorious Bastards because it's kind of the same deal, reimagining. But, you know, the Nazis and the slave owners, I feel like, are a little bit of a bigger cultural and societal touch point than Sharon Tate. Hmm. Um, And also, Sharon Tate's story is not that you know unique um not to like downplay it or anything but so it just felt weird to me that this movie that also goes out of its way to establish like these are kids basically um they're all underage and you just don't see them do anything bad in the movie and then they're getting like melted by a flamethrower yeah yeah i um that ending is not in the book so I Oh right. Yeah, because yeah. you read the book. I, I read the book, and the book is really interesting because he seems to double down on all the harshest parts of the narrative. He doesn't soften his narrative at all. Yeah. He just makes the characters harder to like, harder mm-hmm. to love. Um, and I I really liked it for that. And I, I like that hard edge of Tarantino, and that does go to, you know, it it maybe is tangential to white lotus but does it's something else i've thought about um something that the movie tar 
with Kate Blanchett is about, uh-huh. which is kind of defanging our art, you know, mm-hmm. um, or having art made by people who are in in a worst case scenario who are um, Albie talking about Godfather. Mm-hmm. They're projecting a a persona that is correct mm-hmm. and putting that into their narrative. So the narrative is safe and secure in all the points that it's making and is as all of its edges smoothed over, you know? Yeah. And it goes to the idea of like, yeah, is, is art more true because it's challenging or, you know, I don't believe that. I don't think that that's true, but there is something to be said for like what what's a good example i was just thinking of of one um i i was listening listening to a podcast and somebody just said and it, it's a newer podcast to me so i don't have context for this but they were like they're like talking about something like jokingly you know and they talk about movies they're mm-hmm. like jokingly you know i like to say that therapy destroyed cinema mm-hmm. because once everybody comes to terms with everything then the art they can create Mm -hmm. can be that post-packaged presentation you know what i mean and it's not maybe as interested in reflecting the process it's just interested in reflecting the answer Mm -hmm. right and um do do you agree with any of this does this does this stick out as true to you uh i mean i i i get the point but it it feels a little bit like a a crank opinion to me. You know what I mean? Because it's like, if it's, if it's true, I guess. And you know, it, I guess that this is where all of the, uh, this is where all of the nuance gets lost in all the conversations. Like the same thing tends to happen with anytime, like Martin Scorsese says something about Marvel movies. So I guess the people aren't saying, I guess, well, I don't know, because it seems like if that's the case, then there wouldn't be any, you know, any good movies or anything that's exploring anything, blah, blah, blah. But obviously that's probably not what they're saying. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess, I, I don't, I don't think I would agree with it because there's always going to be, I mean, it's not like everybody goes to therapy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I also, uh, just to circle back quickly to the once upon a time in Hollywood thing, it just seemed weird to me on a practical level, like structurally that we don't see them do anything bad. You know what I mean? It just seems strange to me. It's almost like you're getting into like, uh, what was it called in minority report? Yeah. Pre-crime. Pre-crime. You're getting into like pre-crime territory. It's like, I know these people are doing something bad, so let's just murder them but i feel like that can even foster more of a conversation right like if we wanted to have a conversation about that that to me seems like a like a better conversation than being like in every film that i make you're going to know that everyone who dies deserves it i'm Mm -hmm. like that is going to be a stated mission of everything that i produce like that to me seems inherently more or in danger of producing more boring for lack of a better sure. term art right mm-hmm. and instead to say that i'm going to produce stories that are compelling or challenging or difficult 
which I think Tarantino in his films has proven that he's willing to do. And it also goes to the idea of, and again, it's a balancing act, right? Mm-hmm. Because you, you can dip so quickly into, oh, you're just offended by everything. So that's why I'm going to say, like, that's why I support Ron DeSantis. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> everybody's just so offended. And, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and trying to instead say, you know, I'm not advocating for offensiveness, but I am trying to say that maybe it's okay to be offended. Sure. And oh, okay. yeah, I agree with that and, for and, sure. Yeah, and it's okay to produce something offensive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I forgot what was. I was watching something and it was like a comedy thing and, and they were just constantly going back and saying how embarrassed they were of like old videos and stuff they produced mm-hmm. and how problematic it is and all of that. And then you go back and you watch them and you're like, I think it's funny. You know yeah, what I mean? Like right. it's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I get it, but at the same time, like doesn't seem like it's helpful to go around, be worried about, like, I still remember, um, watching what was i watching um watching grand budapest hotel mm-hmm. with somebody i actually forget who but in one of the scenes uh adrian brody just stands up and points at ralph Fiennes. he goes that f word right that 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 <laughs> yeah. fucking f word yeah and they were like Beside themselves. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And to me, I'm like, was it, did I laugh? Yeah. Yes. Right. Am I laughing because that's a funny word that I want? No. But in the context, it fit the character. Right. That he would say, and it was hilarious that that's the first thing he said. (laughs) Right. Yeah. He jumps out, you know, so, (laughs) you know what I mean? I feel like that's okay. That's okay. Right. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that. Yeah. Don't. So anyway, it's a it's a it's a careful line, yeah, to to, to walk, yeah, and, and again, some of the stuff does go to like I was never comfortable with Woody Allen stuff, like mm-hmm. his Manhattan storyline where he falls in love with like a seventeen year old pretty explicitly has always been like I don't I don't like that, you know, and yeah. maybe looking back on it, I would say, yeah, Manhattan would be a better film without that that plot point in it. So yeah, maybe don't make those. Mm-hmm. You you brought up right. What movie? What recent movie did you watch? You complained was basically like, it's uh, just about an underage rom- professional. It's, no, uh, licorice pizza. Oh yeah, licorice pizza. Yeah, yeah. That is essentially, yeah. <clears throat> Which like, yeah. How do you how do you gauge that level of of offense to take as a viewer yeah and and with the well and but i mean licorice if licorice pizza if the if the roles were reversed that movie would not be made (laughs) if it was about an underage girl being pursued by a older man it wouldn't be made now it may have been made in like the 70s or something or you know just like you said uh manhattan right it's the same same deal and on the flip side like i've read lolita and i love lolita Mm. So part of it is like, yeah, who's producing it? I mean, if um, freaking Zack Snyder wanted to 
do an adaptation of Lolita, I think I'd be worried. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and some of that too, though, is I don't, this maybe we don't need to get into this territory, but like a lot of that is um, contextual to like America, right? Like France has a completely different view on sexuality and age appropriateness and all that stuff. Right. And, um, and I'm not, I'm not saying any of this to ever argue like it shouldn't be made. Right. I have no problem with one spot time in Hollywood being made. That's just how that was just my reaction to right. the ending. Right. And it's about having the conversation versus saying that it shouldn't be made. Right. Right. Like, again, it's okay to be offended. Like I can get offended at a film and then jump on the podcast and talk about it. Yeah. Like that, that that's fine. So I don't know. Yeah. Part of that, again, if we're trying to get into white Lotus, it, it does kind of, I guess if we're trying to tie it in the way that I would do it, I, and I have heard people say this where they watch something and they go, yeah, that was good. You know, it just kind of bothered me though that the only LGBTQ character was shown as being like evil or nefarious. Mm-hmm. And to me, a it's predator. Like a predator. And that, but uh, this that was actually a point I wrote down. Right. It's the same way in the first season. And so this is okay. I'm excited to have this conversation. Maybe we can have it later. But specifically, is analyzing <clears throat> excuse me i want to be very careful here because <clears throat> i think what i'm what i'm trying to say is however you evaluate the art you watch go with god that's fine right mm-hmm. <clears throat> doesn't bother me as long as we can have a conversation about it yeah i think what i'm trying to pinpoint are the people who evaluate art from a perspective that is seeking to determine its value based on its depiction of Mm. things right Mm -hmm. so looking at the white lotus and then taking a a, an analysis approach of well how does it portray its lgbtq characters or like the bechdel test Mm -hmm. how many female characters are talking about a male character outside of a relationship situation Mm -hmm. you know um, or talking about each other outside of a, a relationship. Mm-hmm. To me, that it's a, a again that doesn't show you the value of what you just analyzed, right? You can't. Yeah, just, it's just kind of an arbitrary distinction. It's an arbitrary distinction. Yeah, and so yeah, with the White Lotus, because I saw that too, where people were trying to be like, "How does Mike Mike White depict his LGBTQ characters?" Mm-hmm. and and if you know, honestly, if he kills some of them, I'm going to have real problems with it. And so I'd be like, <laughs> what value is that? Is yeah. that analysis? I don't know. I don't yeah. know in the sense of like, does would it be better if he went into this saying, my stated goal for this is to show LGBTQ characters in a positive light? Yeah. But But then you and I both agree that going in with the idea that you're going to show rich people as deserving of judgment and poor people deserving of, or, or the, the recipients of the consequences of these actions that, mm-hmm. that could also be 
analyzed in that way, right? Where, like, if we walked in, we're like, if the White Lotus shows rich people as being not deserving of punishment, I'm, it sucks. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, anyway. Um, yeah, to that point, I don't know if I ever brought this up or if I've mentioned to you, but a couple weeks ago, there was a post on the subreddit. This was right after the... Um, the the gay group, the group of gay guys mm-hmm. was introduced like the very, that the, after that first episode that they were introduced and there is a post on the subreddit about how like everyone who thinks that the gay guys may be scheming are homophobic. They're just gay They're- guys. <laughs> and it's like, well, wait a minute. That's <laughs> kind of, you might be jump, jumping the shark there a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so it, it's a hard thing to balance. Where I, I'm somebody who absolutely am, is interested in having more people represented in the art that's produced, a hundred percent. And I'm okay with there being a quote unquote. Again, I don't think this is valid. I'm just parroting what, what I view as maybe not stupid, but other people's perspectives that there's an overcorrection happening. Mm. Now everything is skewing yeah. female or skewing. I don't think that that's true. But I'm okay with, with all of that. And I, and I want that. I want more of that. But I hesitate to push all the way to, like, evaluating art through that lens to determine its value. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So episode six was called Abductions. What do you think of the episode? Uh, you know, it was the first one where I kind of got like a Netflix, Netflix feeling from this. Where it was like, they probably could have either shortened this, cut it out, or like... Maybe just do the like the finale is going to be an hour and a half long. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Some of it felt a little uh a a little dragged out. I don't know if there's anything in particular I would take out. Mm-hmm. I still you know, like it like we said before, I still just enjoy watching the show. Um, so I still really liked it a lot. But and maybe it's just um maybe it's just by it's just like a matter of effect of no longer ramping up the tension. Yeah. That, and that kind of feels strange, but because it's also not the end of the the season, you don't get any sort of resolution at all. Yeah. It didn't have <clears throat> it, it. I liked it. It definitely didn't have the impact that I was maybe mm-hmm. anticipating mm-hmm. from the buildup of last episode. But it also, to me, showed, like, how good Mike White is at build, like, adding the narrative. Like, his directorial mm-hmm. kind of approach is really solid. And I think about ramping up Portia's story mm-hmm. and how he was able to make her feel and show her being in a more and more precarious position as she's slowly realizing it. 
right. you know, that in the beginning of the episode, she's the one telling Tanya, like, you're overreacting, mm-hmm. you're crazy. To the very end of the episode, you can just see it on her face, like, I don't know this person. Yeah. I'm alone with him. I'm completely in vulnerable. In a foreign country. <laughs> I'm in a foreign country. <laughs> and no money. I have no, I have no, I have no power in this yeah. situation. And everything he's been telling me is a lie. Exa- yeah, everything's yeah. a lie. And then just that growing, creeping dread and resola- revelation mm-hmm. on, on her part. I think, I, th- I thought like stuff like that was brilliant. Yeah. Um, but it definitely, I, I agree with you. Um, I'm excited for the finale. It feel, I wonder if I'm going to get to the end of the finale and be like, man, we could have had that one death at the end of last episode just yeah. to kind of propel things a little, mm-hmm. a little cleaner into the finale. But yeah, one thing that I have been, that I have thought about is, is this, I don't, not sure I know really how to like fully articulate it, but the, this season has felt like more like kind of a cohesive thing than the first season. I like both seasons. I've, I think I've ended up liking season two a lot more, but the first season was great, but it was just kind of this like fun ensemble Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. thing. You know what I mean? Whereas this is like very intricately crafted and it's like, Layered layer upon layer upon layer. And it almost feels like, um, you know, we've gotten a lot of like these series where it's like, yeah, this guy's been working on this script for 10 years. Right. That's what this feels like to me, but it's the second season. And <laughs> the he's probably, I guess he wrote it in like three or four months, which seems crazy, you know, yeah, yeah. unless this was like what he's been sitting on the whole time. But, yeah, it just seems crazy to me that I'm just am kind of amazed at how, like, like you said, layered everything yeah. is, you I, know? It, it made me feel like if I was a writer or a good writer, my my method would, I'd want to, like, overwrite my characters mm-hmm. to have, like, cohesive backstories for them and everything. And it feels written like that. Like it feels like all the characters that he's written, especially Tanya, mm-hmm. are written with this like, like what Lost said it did. Oh, we we know the ending, mm-hmm. right? Where it's mm-hmm. like I know everything about these characters, and so every relationship, everything that happens to them, I have an idea for or a plan for, which I don't think was the case. I think we can say pretty clearly that. For example, I wouldn't think that he would have written. Maybe do you think he wrote season one that um, Greg was a was right? A that, I was thinking about that too. I can't imagine I can't that either. he was exactly. But and but at the same time, you know, his introduction was. Well, I guess you can do both, right? Because Greg's inter- whole introduction was him trying to break into Tanya's room. Yeah, or maybe not trying to break in, but very purposefully trying to get into her room for some reason other than just like an honest mistake. Oh, I'm at the wrong yeah. room. So he was always presented like as a grifter from the from the get go. Right. 
Um, now that doesn't necessarily mean he had this whole backstory with Quentin and all that already written up, but I mean, yeah, who knows? Exactly. My, my, my point is if it comes out or if he's like, yeah, that was just happy. I was looking Mm -hmm. at season one and I realized that it kind of set up for this storyline. I would be like, it feels like you've had that pre-written. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's what the execution feels like. So Mm -hmm. I completely agree with you. Season one at this point of the season or a little bit before, all you're getting is Armand kind of spiraling. Yeah. That that's like the turning point of the whole season. He just backslides, does some drugs, and kind of loses it. Mm -hmm. This one though has so many storylines going and all of them feel like they have that propulsion, and I still don't know who's gonna die. You know? Yeah. So Okay. Uh let's get into Harper and Ethan. Um what is so Ethan the last episode is when they how did they end the last episode? The last episode because he just saw the condom wrapper. They, but anyways, in this episode, she oh, so he opens it being like with sitting in with the whole like I feel like you don't believe me. Yeah, they have that whole the whole deal, and that kind of sends Harper down this path of now just like purposefully playing mind games. Yeah, which I think is never been a bigger sign of like your relationship is doomed <laughs> not to blame her for like the, the dissolution or whatever. But like once you're there, you, you, I feel like you don't come back from that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it definitely feels like I'd, I really would have liked to see them not in Italy, mm-hmm. just at home to be like, Oh, they they look like a real like a normal couple there, mm-hmm. or did they never look like a normal couple? No matter where they were, were they always kind of like something's off about them? Yeah. Um, or did it all get exposed in Italy? Yeah, I guess it. That's probably what it's supposed to be. What it seems like it is, it all gets exposed. Do you think that there's anything going on between? That anything went on between Harper and Cameron? Or do you think she's purely just doing all of this to... The the problem that I have is the fact that Cameron has been more and more clear with what he wants from her. Uh-huh. And she at no point has clearly like said no to him. Mm-hmm. So they had the opportunity... Um, which makes me feel like, why wouldn't she, you know, what would the reasons be for her to say no to Cameron at that point based on what you've seen? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Outside of just, just like a, a moral, that's not who I am as a person. I don't see, I don't see any indication of like her not doing it for the sake of the relationship. Right. Right. I could see it in the sense of like, yeah, you're 
you're gross. I don't want anything to do with you. But see, she hasn't like she's shown that to Ethan. Well, and what what I made note of, what I thought was interesting that I realized watching this is that, and maybe this is again just a comment on, like, uh, you know, on, uh, on sexual harassment, but ever since she told Ethan about the incident in the bathroom and he didn't uh, think it was a big deal or whatever. Mm-hmm. She hasn't said anything else about the other stuff Cameron's been doing to her. Exactly. Which I thought was um, interesting. Would you have confronted her? Like, would you have done more oh, in directly? the morning scene? And then in the afternoon, would you have just directly? You know, it's also interesting now that you, mention that is Ethan is kind of dealing with it in the same way Harper did, but Ethan seems Ethan's gone like Joker mode, right? Oh, like yeah. he's lost it. Yeah. But when Harper had those same suspicions, she spent the whole episode like asking like lawyerly questions, like trying to get him giving him an opportunity to, to, to tell the truth, but also, like setting a trap for him mm-hmm. to like um, incriminate himself if he doesn't tell the truth. And Ethan's kind of doing the same thing where he's never coming out di- and directly asking the question, right? Just kind of dancing around it the whole time. But but where Harper felt completely in control when she was doing that, Ethan feels like he's, like I said, he's gone Joker mode. He's lost. He's lost it. He has a whole fantasy scene where he imagines. Right. Yeah. He imagines it. Yeah. Having sex, which yeah feels, and it does feel like a double standard from him, right? That he feels yeah. like he should be just accepted mm-hmm. at face value, right? Mm-hmm. Even though it's like, <clears throat> yeah, I took Molly. Yeah, there were prostitutes. Yeah, and yeah, I weirdly sat in the doorway to the bathroom and watched him have. Yeah, sex his story is so much. More terrible. <laughs> yeah. Then I went to go get a hat. Yeah. What did you say? I went to go get yeah, a hat. Yeah, I went to go get a hat. He went to get a book. Well, see, now that maybe that's the biggest red flag. He comes out with a book. <laughs> someone I did someone identified what the book was on the subreddit. I can't remember now. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I would say I would say sure they they could have started or I mean she she set dressed it. She's mm-hmm. totally playing mind games with them. Absolutely, with the door lock, right? And mm-hmm. then propping the, the side door. To me, I feel like maybe, I don't know, who, who knows how we would react, but I do, it did cross my mind that in any situation like that, number one, relationship's over. Hey, yeah. We've, we've clearly yeah. got problems. But I would have tried to open the door to Cameron's room, mm-hmm. and I would have mm-hmm. knocked on the door, and I would have at least confronted Cameron right there mm-hmm. to be like, Hey, is anything going on? Right. You know, cause he, he then confronts Cameron later mm-hmm. after he's kind of driven himself a little more crazy. But yeah, it's like, yeah, you can just confront it. Yeah. Um, I feel like he was kind of the only, so this, I, I don't f- feel like the death We've talked about this. I don't feel like the death or the deaths in this season have ever been the point of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and they could ultimately still just be a 
total red herring. Um, but I feel like Ethan is the only character at this point who's been set oh, main character who's been set up to possibly be a killer, right? Like you could see him <laughs> losing his mind and killing Cameron or somebody, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get to it. I think that there are other characters that I think are actually in a position and, and are willing to kill. Uh huh. Um, Ethan would totally be like a crime of passion. Yeah. Um, well, they but, also keep showing Ethan. They show Ethan. They keep showing Ethan. And Tanya also does this. I don't know if it's happened recently, but Ethan for sure has happened in multiple episodes where they keep staring at these like busts of or well, these do, statues. Yeah. Do you, do you remember the explanation of those in episode one when the um, hotel employee explained what they are? Uh-uh. Um, damn it. <laughs> but that explains it i guess it, it it does there there's a a kind of narrative and then tanya has that moment yeah tanya has a moment or yeah. it. but basically it's based on like a folklore of their area and it involves yeah like cheating and then a beheading and the head being used as a talisman or Mm -hmm. you know and 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 so it's like an artistic representation of this like mythological you know tale Mm -hmm. um man i'm i wish i could remember it right and i I wish i could just (laughs) google it and look it up i have no idea what i'd say yeah you'd never go do that just go back and rewatch the first episode yeah but but if you go but but if you go back episode one the the hotel employee actually asks he's like would you like to know the story and the character goes yes i remember Mm -hmm. like cluing in because i was like oh this is he's gonna state part of the purpose of this Mm -hmm. season and he does and then i forgot it (laughs) yeah um and then we also talking about it i've realized is that you get kind of um another uh you get kind of like a mirror reflection of of what harper and ethan are doing with daphne and cameron in that um, you know, Ethan is kind of uh, mirroring Harper's behavior after she found the rapper, which is that, which is to ask questions, but to never really address it directly. And then Daphne and Cameron kind of have this, you, you realize, I, f- I think, or at least the feeling I got is that K- Daphne is kind of like keeping score, right? And it's like, whenever she, knows that Cameron did something she's like okay well now it's my turn and then she goes and does something right and so she goes and presumably sleeps with the masseuse um but outside of that I didn't really feel like there's more much more to it um going back to like the whole Ethan and Cameron thing fighting you know again Daphne is the one that finds the bodies in the water so that seems strange if it would be Cameron or one of the, you know what I mean? So it doesn't really seem to line up. Right. Um, Really quickly. So the legend is a lady is living a solitary life. One day a man comes and professes his love for her. Mm -hmm. He's become infatuated with her because she was so lonely. She ends up falling for him too, only to find out that he has a family and he's about to leave her. Mm. So he, so she cuts his head off <laughs> and uses it as a vase and uh, like grows her herbs out of it. Uh-huh. 
and that's what those phases are. So, so somebody's head is getting cut off. Yeah, and then <clears throat> herbs are being planted. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, but so yeah, it, that that's the foreboding. Something like that. I mean, that's Greg's story, right? Yeah, I was going to say that. Well, that was the running theory, at least at the beginning. I don't know if it is now. Yeah. Well, I think all the theories of last season or last se- last episode have proven true. Mm-hmm. Clearly, I think Daphne has had at least one child with her trainer. Mm-hmm. And I think the other uh, theory was true about Greg. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. Anything else about Ethan? Ethan Harper. and Harper. It definitely is something where you where you do just want the confrontation to happen. Mm-hmm. Now I feel like they've done a good job of kind of building up, and you know it's gone back and forth, and enough has been said openly that the characters I think need to confront it. Right? Yeah. Ethan comes out and confronts Cameron. Cameron deflects, and Harper is obviously playing a role which is meant to drive Ethan crazy Mm -hmm. and it's working. And I guess the question is how crazy is she going to drive? Yeah. That's what I wanted to ask. Yeah. Do you, do you you feel like her intention is to just like be give, just be like a gentle ribbing or do you think she's just trying to just drive him over the edge? Yeah. There's the scene on the beach, right? Where he confronts Cameron and then her and Daphne come and they sit down and he, says something to her he like turns away mm-hmm. and the camera holds on her as she's like takes a sip and kind of looks at ethan when he's not looking at her mm-hmm. you can just see like she's pissed she's she's determined <laughs> she's over it yeah <laughs> she's over and she's just like yeah i'm going to like twist this knife yeah as much as i can while we're here and you're gonna have to live with it yeah and the first season ended with that couple splitting up right no season one the couple stays together do they mm-hmm. Because her whole deal was, her her whole struggle was like the trophy wife thing, right? And in the end with her realizing it's too much for her to give up huh. this comfort. Yeah. And she stays with him. Um, okay. Bird and Dom. I didn't really feel, the only thing I had about Bert and Dom was that I thought it was interesting that... Um, when they showed up at the house, yeah, <laughs> there's no men. Right. And they don't want men around. Right. So it seems like this, you know, if they are related, you know, the, the men have always been shitbags, basically. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I feel like that is, that's why I took away from it, too. It's like, yeah, you found your people, and they are also still dealing with the same... It's quote unquote like a family curse, right? Mm-hmm. That the men are pieces of shit. Yeah. Um I also really liked what that old lady was yelling. The one thing that made me wonder about like a translation, she says, You're here for the pretty money. Yeah. And that to me, I was like, pretty money. Yeah. What are you talking about pretty money? Yeah, that didn't make sense to me. But what I loved is that, yeah, it was just a string of like old what felt like old you know italian insults and then at the end she just goes fuck you (laughs) (laughs) yeah it goes from threatening to throw an artichoke at their heads (laughs) right exactly just a good old-fashioned um 
Yeah, what would you what do you think of the Are we going to talk about Albi and Lucia? Yeah, of course. Okay. So what what do you think about the um the the confrontation from Dom and Bert's perspective when she gets taken? Oh, with the guy? Yeah, when she kind of goes with the guy and Dom is like we can take him and Bert is like you can't let this happen. Right? Yeah. Um Right, yeah. I felt Bert getting out and saying something like that felt kind of weird to me for some reason. It's just not like in a, any sort of meaningful way. Like it just seemed like strange. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting because, you know, what happens to them is they come back and then Bert is like, you know, devastated. Yeah, he right. He just goes and drinks. But what he says is, you know, the the feeling of a woman welcoming you home and, and saying you've done a good job. Like, yeah. that's not going to be his anymore. Yeah. He's not going to get that anymore. And that is based off of, yeah, him finding his people, finding three women. <laughs> and they don't want anything to do with him. And they don't want them. anything to do with him. All they had to do was just welcome him, you know, yeah. with open arms. And they don't. And to me, that's the that's the moment of realization where he's like, yeah, my, my life is over. Mm-hmm. My my loved one is gone. Mm-hmm. And all I'm left with is that relationship with her, you know? And it does make you feel like that idea of people who've been in relationships for decades just accepting the narrative that theirs is a relationship of true love. Mm-hmm. Because what else are you going to do at 70? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can't sit there and be like, you know what? This relationship, this guy's cheated on me and or, you know, I've cheated on my wife and had flings. And you know what? It wasn't. It wasn't as true as I built it up. No, you're going to be like, that was my one true love. We mm-hmm. had such a glorious relationship. Right. And yeah, it just kind of shows that he he has no new memories. He's only left with his own. And he's obviously incapable of dealing with the reality of that. Instead, now he can only double down on the narrative that his one true love is gone. He was he was true to her. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um. Okay, so let's move on to Albie and Lucia then. Um, oh, re- really quick, going back to Harper for a second. Mm-hmm. So because we're recording, you know, we feel it out week to week. Sometimes mm-hmm. we're a little later in the week, sometimes we're earlier. Um, I was afraid that you wouldn't have as much time to do some homework, so I jumped on uh, the, the subreddit and mm-hmm. grabbed a few things. Now, when I went on the subreddit, I typed in the White Lotus and I had two options. And oh. the one is our, you know, subreddit White Lotus, and the other one is White Lotus HBO. Mm-hmm. Have you gone to the non-HBO White Lotus? No. <laughs> I mean, I may have right at the beginning and then realized this is not the right subreddit and left. Yeah. So what's funny on this, one of the top comments with 27 comments that I that mm-hmm. I have not read, um, It's just this person who goes, anyone else notice the the Aubrey Plaza nip slip? (laughs) 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 And I immediately went off that. (laughs) That's the wrong subreddit. (laughs) 
But I thought that, so yeah, I didn't know if you had any uh, perspective on the Aubrey Plaza. Dips, like, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't catch didn't it catch apparently. It, which is so funny because I was like, number one, I'm not engaging. Number two, didn't occur to me. So it feels like that is the work of somebody who really went frame by frame. <laughs> Right. Who is really they have bored. one purpose for watching the show. <laughs> All right, go on. That was- uh, okay, so Albie and Lucia. One question, one question I thought was interesting that I saw raised on the subreddit. Either, I think maybe and it, this was its own post or maybe it was just a, a comment on the episode discussion. Why do you think, because this episode opens the same as the last one or one of the other ones, with Albie and Lucia having sex. Yeah. Why do you think it keeps showing them having sex so So much? the last episode opened with them having sex, right? And mm-hmm. it ended with them having mm-hmm. sex. And this one opens with them having sex mm-hmm. again, right? Um, and I think there's a time in the middle of the episode, maybe, at last week's episode, where they're having sex. Yeah, I mean, I, I take it... <clears throat> my initial take is that it's trying to blur the lines of whether or not she's actually in this relationship mm-hmm. or just fleecing him. Just mm-hmm. he, he's a mark. My feeling right now is that he's a mark yeah. to her. And yeah, to me, like the sex is there to make you be like, well, then why is she having so much sex? And none of it afterwards shows her asking for money. Right. So to me, it's kind of showing you that when it's revealed that she's treating Albie as a mark. It shows how far she's willing to go, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to execute that. Yeah. Uh, or to to give you some depth to like maybe she she views that as like that that is a transaction. Like I will give him this because she does kind of care for him. She mm-hmm. wants him to get something out of it and not just be a mark. But that's my. That's my first impression. What, what about you? I agree. Yeah, that's that's how how it reads to me. Uh, so, I mean, I'm happy to go frame by frame and kind of <laughs> right. analyze based on see the how positions, many nip slips there are, how many positions they do. <laughs> Does she really seem into it? Right. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll jump on that other subreddit with my findings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you listen to Adam DeMarco was on Hollywood Handbook? I did. You listened to that? I thought it, he was go, starts going through his text messages. <laughs> and he tells one of hey his bro. buddies, yeah, <laughs> yeah, crazy episode tonight. And the guy just replies, BJ at the end. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool uh, friend you got there. <laughs> well, he says after he's like, don't do any of that. Right. And doesn't he kind of say that he's not like close to that person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so Albie and his, uh, and the father and grandfather go on to go to that village. Lucia comes along as a translator on their way back or no, on their way there because she's not there to translate what the people are yelling at, at her, at them. Uh, so on the way there, they run into again Alicio, Alicio, um, who menin- menacingly chases them, car chase, right? Um, yeah, and then eventually they pull over. They get in an argument again, and then she leaves with him. Uh, somebody again translated the conversation. Did you read that? No. 
Okay, so um, can, can I also say really quickly? I want to be followed like that one time, so I can kind of <laughs> look behind me, and see somebody standing outside their car, and be like, "What are you doing? Like, <laughs> right? What is that doing for you? I know yeah. you're following me. You're following me. You're just gonna follow me until when? Yeah. Like, just come talk to me, <clears throat> or come beat me up. I don't know. Do what you need to do here. Uh, yeah. Okay. What's the what's the translation? So the translation is Alicia says, "Can't you hear me? I hear you." Can't you see me? I see you. I've been following you for two hours. Why didn't you pull over earlier? Uh, Lucia says something that you can't hear because the men are talking. The Degrassio men are talking. Come on, come with me, says Alicio. I said no, leave me alone. I said leave me alone. And then she pushes him away, says, I said leave me alone one more final time. And then that's when they... Um, that's when she goes to, you know, tell them I'll be fine. So that feels a little more threatening, right? It feels a little more threatening. Someone pointed out, said it, you could read it as this guy, if this guy is truly her pimp, he knows that she likes Albie mm -hmm. and maybe is looking for a way out, right? You could read it in that way. Someone else read it as... Uh, he could be her brother. Um, based on Lucia's reaction, she didn't exhibit real fear about getting in his car in this episode, but we've seen him uh, aggress. That must be a typo. Aggressively? We've seen him aggressively. We've seen her be physical with her in a way that would be threatening if they were a friend or ex. But if they were siblings, it may not be that threatening. Later in the episode, when she came to Albie's room, she looked genuinely wounded. And when she said, he wants to control me, it felt to me like all of this added up to her family not approving of her sex work and her brother trying to stop it. I think she's just using it as a convenient situation to pursue her long con of Albie. Uh, this is maybe said by others. Somebody else pointed out, so if you go back to the conversation, he says, oh, no, did I close the tab? You dummy. He says uh, something along the lines of, can't you see? He says, can't you see me? I've been following you for two hours. Why didn't you pull over earlier? So he's standing outside his car that one time. Like, <laughs> go talk to her. Then. That doesn't read to me as like someone who's trying to get money out of her or whatever. Yeah. That reads to me as someone who she told hey, meet me at this place at a certain time. And then she's just been ignoring for two hours, knowing, you know, he would follow her or be upset or knowing she could make a scene out of it or something. Yeah. Something, some, someone else um, predict, uh, pointed out or predicted uh, last episode or whatever episode it was where he showed up the first time. Well, not the first time technically, but when they have that first argument in the street is that he could be like um, her, her boyfriend. Like, yeah. how many times have you seen that in a movie or in a show or whatever? Like, <clears throat> she has this, you know, her, her her actual real life in Sicily, and this is her boyfriend. And in episode one, it definitely had the feeling of her being like, yeah, I built this relationship with this guy. Come be a part of it. I can get you some money, too. We can be a threesome. And there wasn't really that feeling of, like, I need to pay this other person, right? Yeah. 
she was more just trying to get a good weekend with her and her friend. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. This is the comment I was looking for. Uh, this may have already been spotted by others, so sorry for a potential repeat, but I was suspicious of Alicio's relationship to Lucia too, plus had a feeling we'd seen him in earlier episodes. I went back to episode one, and sure enough, he's behind Lucia and Mia in their opening scene as they're walking down the street about to go see the incoming White Lotus boat. He's in a green polo shirt, seems totally calm, and Lucia says something to him. I don't speak Italian, and closed caption didn't have a translation of what she says. If not, siblings, Alicio is definitely in on Lucia's con and may even be an accomplice hired by her, blah, blah, blah. And then somebody goes back and translates, and she says, see you after or see you later, is what she says to him. Yeah, I'm still going to say long con. Mm -hmm. Um We'll see. I think that there's enough ambiguity there that I think I'd be satisfied with either resolution. If yeah, if he's her pimp, I think that she's probably going to try and get to America through mm-hmm. the through the DeGrassos, right? Mm-hmm. He's my pimp. Get me out of here. Um, she's also brought up multiple times though with Albie. That it would cost a lot of money to get her out. That she needs right? money. That she to, needs to a lot of money in order to like officially be out or whatever. Right. And then the then the alternative would be that she's just trying to get money out of him. Yeah. It seems like she's got to be conning him. Yeah. Uh, another thing I made note of that I thought um, was interesting was that at the end of this episode, Albie is seemingly the only person who is being conned, who at this point doesn't know they're being conned, <laughs> yeah. right? Like Porsche's realized it. Tanya's kind of realizing it through her drug haze. Do uh, you think he knows that Lucia slept with? Tom? No, it doesn't seem like he does, right? It doesn't seem like he does, but I feel like looking back at it, he he has all the pieces. Mm-hmm. So let's say Lucia's conning him. Does that uh, sort of push Albie to like sympathize more with his sort of uh, misogynistic patriarchy? Right. Yeah. If I if I wanted to like dig into the narrative from like a, my personal taste perspective, the one storyline that I'm most curious about and not that I watch it, watch things to have like a problematic perspective, you know, Oh, this is problematic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the one storyline that makes me feel that way or have that inkling is Albie because on the one hand, what the storyline could be saying, because Lucia tells him why I wish all men were like you. Mm-hmm. And we've never seen Albie's mask slip, even when he's being shown up by Portia. Mm-hmm. And even with all of the sex with Lucia and the stuff with his family, he never has let let slip that he's not this guileless, like, just trying to be a good guy here. Yeah. You know? Um, so what it could be saying is 
good good guys like that will lose out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which I'm like, I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> that uh-huh. That's not good to me. Yeah. You know? <coughs> that's, old- that is an incel narrative. Exactly. That, that, <laughs> and, and almost like an incel redemption narrative where mm. it's like, hey, incels, you guys are going too far. But you guys have it partially right. right. Like, yeah. You're on the right track. You're on the right track. <laughs> because if you just cancel out the violence, then, yeah, you're right. It is geared to not reward you for yeah. your good guy behavior, which I also think is a wrong take for this day and age. Yeah. I think that you are rewarded for your, in some ways, going back to our first conversation, you may be overly rewarded for mm-hmm. doing what Albie does, which is, yeah, I don't really have any strong feelings about the Godfather, <laughs> but I do know to say right. this is just a mask for the patriarchy to yeah. keep up their false narratives is going to get me points, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that's a bad narrative all the way down. And again, if anybody writes that, I imagine it from like a a piece of shit person who mm-hmm. like yeah, I'm a piece of shit writer. I'm gonna I'm gonna you know here's my my kind story. Right, right? It's, like, <laughs> it's just a projection of what good guys are. Yeah. Right? So I and I don't think Mike White would write like that. So yeah. then the alternative is is that there is something else going on with Albie. But going back to my earlier point, we haven't even seen a whiff of it yeah other than like i always lose out right but like he's having sex with a very attractive Mm -hmm. woman you know he was on the right track with portia but hey another guy came along so i mean like he's generating interest Mm -hmm. so for him to then freak out when lucia is shown as like you know manipulating him Mm-hmm. I don't. I haven't seen in the character yet, so we, we it'd have to be a very convincing, mm-hmm. masterfully shot and acted, <laughs> you know, uh, moment. Because so far, Albie just seems like a like. Instead, the narrative would would, based on the character as I understand him, would be a sad Albie on the ride home, mm-hmm. on the flight home, just miserably looking out the window and being like, "Yeah, but I got." Got played again. You know what <laughs> right, I mean? Like yeah. that that to me is is where this narrative is headed. Yeah. Uh okay, so moving on to Tanya. God, uh, some great Tanya moments. Yeah. So they have their party. Jack takes Portia away. I can can I talk really quickly about the opening scene with Tanya and Portia where they talk about yeah. about Jack? Right. And Tanya tries to kind of warn her without coming right out and saying, and por- I, yeah. And he, she's like, I don't think that's his uncle. And she's like, what proof do you have? <laughs> her pause. And then uh-huh. she says like, <clears throat> into it or like just a strong feeling. Yeah. I like laughed out loud. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. her delivery, her, <laughs> her pause where you see her like, considering what to say right oh my god she's so great it was so good yeah and then that whole conversation right where then she's like opens up about what she was like as a Mm -hmm. young girl and then just at the end get your shit together right yeah like just such a great (laughs) just just great yeah uh so the 
theory has seems to have been proven true that Greg it it was the straight American cowboy that Quentin that Quentin's story was about. I don't know how accurate that story is because the story was all about how he got away, right? Yeah. But that doesn't appear to be the case. Do you, do you think Quentin at that point is just like flaunting it, or do you think that was an oversight to leave the picture out? Yeah. Oh, the picture. Hmm. The picture, I would say, is probably an oversight. I feel like he, I feel like he, he feels like right now, like once she does the cocaine, once he gets her to the party, mm-hmm. I feel like he's just on his victory lap. Sure. I feel like his mask is fully off now. Uh, so there's been a couple of theories on the subreddit about what could be going on with Tanya and Greg and the Quentin. fabulous gays, as she calls them. Um. So this person, Spicy Ramen, says the plot isn't to kill Tanya. It's to entrap her. She's being recorded having sex outside the marriage, which would nullify the prenup. Okay. Did you think about that? No. Someone took a screenshot of the scene. There's a scene between um, Tanya and... The Italian guy, I can't remember his name, Nicolo or something like that, uh, right before they, well, I guess we don't see them have sex, but presumably start having sex. He's like on his knees in front of her. Yeah, there's a red light shining in the background, like the red light on a camera. Mm. So the theory is they're being recorded um, to nullify the prenup. Also, someone pointed out, that the Italian guy completely loses his Italian accent towards the end of the episode, which I didn't <laughs> notice. I totally believe. Yeah. Which could also, it, it, it strikes me as it could just be like a guy with a bad accent or <laughs> yeah. it could very much just be like this guy is a con artist and he can't even keep he up an Italian accent. Well, he, apparently, if if what we see is true, he has also ingested a lot of cocaine. Yeah. Right. That for any actor, I think on that much cocaine, it would be hard to keep track of your accent. Yeah. Um, I have my own theory about what they're trying to do, though. Okay, what's that? Well, do you have another theory? There is another theory. Well, the other theory is that... um, So they're trying to entrap her, Quentin and Greg, so to nullify the prenup so Mm -hmm. Greg gets the money. Mm -hmm. Greg and Quentin get the money. Someone else is theorizing that Tanya has already filed for a divorce. Mm. Uh, They said, in episode five, Tanya is eating breakfast with Portia and says, you know, I talked to Billy Offer last night about getting the marriage annulled. Uh, She says this right before they leave for Palermo. Greg even comments on this in episode two. He says, you change your mind about everything constantly. You drop your friends. You fire people on a dime. I mean, you've been through, how many assistants have you been through? You just dis- discard people. At some point, I don't know why they didn't include this in their post. At some point, he does explicitly mention the prenup. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, he does. So he's obviously aware of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so And later she offers to get rid of it. Right. Mm-hmm. So what's your theory? Um, my My theory is so trying to think through 
everything right. Number one, what is what's for what supports the theory that they want to kill her? Mm-hmm. Greg, one of the big ones is Greg's reaction to seeing Portia. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just want her to like have a vacation. Yeah. He wants her gone. Right. Yeah. He wants her out of there. Yeah. Ca- capturing her on video having sex with another man would seemingly have nothing to do with, with Portia. Portia being there. Yeah. So the <clears> fact <throat> that he reacted, which we commented on, mm-hmm. like I remember being like, yeah, why'd you freak out so much about mm-hmm. that? Like, let her stay in her room then. Who cares? You wanted to have this getaway with your wife. Maybe the plan is to entrap her so that nullifies the prenup. And then also present her death in a way that's like an accident or a suicide. Because there's been a lot of talk of suicide with her and her family and all that. And then that way they get all the money. Yeah. Right? Now, after that, he, Greg, is one of the first ones to spot Portia eating. Mm -hmm. And you see him clock her and just like... Kind of be frustrated, but but go on. And mm-hmm. he doesn't insist that she leaves anymore. So, could she... This episode's called Abductions. Could she be being used as a... Not necessarily like a blackmail piece, but threatening her life. Re- remember, Jack also says, yeah, and, and sometimes you have to do things that you don't want to do. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. And Jack had a great scene at he the did. end of the episode for as annoying of a character as he is. Yeah. Really good at the end of that episode. And I, I really like his his earlier monologue where he's like, we're so mm-hmm. like random lucky. and lucky. Yeah. If you can't be happy on this earth, like that sounds like a you problem, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I think that he could also be talking about having to kill Portia because I think he does like Portia. Mm-hmm. I think in some ways it could be a parallel to Lucia, right? That Lucia has Albie as her mark, but also likes him, you know? Mm-hmm. He's a good guy. And Jack, I think, could have been told, obviously, number one, get Portia out of here. But also, now we could give you the word to, like, threaten Portia, right? Send it to... um. Tanya, right? We will hurt Portia if you do not, mm. you know, mm. go along with this blackmail attempt. Mm-hmm. That maybe she could be being used as like a a safety net. You know, if Tanya has filled out any paperwork, if Tanya doesn't care about the blackmail attempt, or if there's some other hitch, they could be like, okay, well then we'll kill Portia. Mm-hmm. So if you don't want to do it, for all these other reasons, then do it to save your assistant's life. Mm-hmm. And that Greg has made her part of that plan. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they were trying to get her away from Tanya, correct? You, you you see that. Do you view that as like just so that they could have their party go off how they wanted without Portia there to protect Tanya? Or do you think, like I think that there's also a secondary motive for keeping her away and isolated. And it could be for a 
for a further blackmail or, or yeah, threat. I guess yeah, I could see it. Um, but seeing as how they didn't even want her there in the first place, I guess it would be a little more. But with the fact that Greg doesn't then insist that she's gone when he sees her, yeah, you know, what I mean, like he knows that she's still there, and he doesn't insist to get her on the plane, get her out of there. Yeah, like he probably could have. Yeah, one thing that I do find weird in. Again, this is not weird in like a meaningful sense, just in a way the show's been constructed, I guess. Greg left in episode two, Mm -hmm. and he said, I'll be back in two days. Mm. It's been longer than two days, Mm -hmm. I'm fairly certain, in the show's time. Greg has not been mentioned once since episode two. She She hasn't talked talked to him. The the only time she's come near the subject is when she mentions the annulment to Portia doing that on that conversation we just talked about. Yeah. And I guess you could say if that has already been done, the whole divorce thing has started, right? She's already set on that. I guess that kind of explains it, but I still would have, would have expected at least one piece of dialogue from her since episode two to be like, he hasn't even, I haven't talked to him in five days or whatever. You know what I mean? Like nothing at all. That seems weird to me. Yeah. I I, ultimately, I'll agree with that. I do feel like Quentin, one of Quentin's goals has been to get her to not think or talk about Greg. Like Mm. the few times that she has. Yeah. That's true. And early on, he's like, let him go. Like, Mm -hmm. this isn't about him. This is about you. And, Blah, 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 blah. And he lets her tell her whole story. Like that one right. day when That's she's like, true. I was born. He's like, oh, we're going all the way back. Like, <laughs> right. So maybe that was the time that he was like, let's get it all out and let's make a decision to get him out of our lives. Yeah. Now let's let's have fun. Let's explore. Yeah. Okay. And, and isolate her, get her just thinking about. Do you... Now, I also took her viewing the, the picture as like, she's so gone yeah that yeah of course yeah she's not going to put it together yeah that's my husband right she she could probably just be thinking i'm hallucinating yeah yeah and and, yeah you you took that too yeah no i didn't i didn't think anything of it uh anything else about tanya and portia um do you think tanya is going to die this season no Mm -mm. you don't Mm -mm. i i don't know if mike white We'll do a season three, obviously. I mean, I'm sure it's been HBO. renewed for a season three. Oh, it has. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Do you think he he has more to do with Tanya in season three? Sure. I don't see why not. I mean, I would not have expected her to be in season two. Yeah, but I mean, like, I don't know. I feel like if if she's in season three, they're going to have to make what happened to her in the first two seasons, like her storyline. <clears throat> no one is going to experience season one and season two of White Lotus. She and, definitely has. And then be at a third White Lotus. And yeah. Like, I a, always a have such a great time. more of an involved storyline in the second season. Yeah. I mean, it's turned into like her season with yeah. this last episode. Yeah. Times. Like her arc, her trajectory and where, what happens to her is one of the central questions even more than like, yeah, we're talking about Ethan, we're talking about Albie, but even if they act out and are the murderers, we both agree that both of them are like, that would be kind of a surprise, you know, that'd be a shock. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen that, but Quentin has a gun, right? Has that come up? Doesn't he have a, no, the drug the, dealer has a gun. No, the 
sex worker has a gun. Yeah, the drug. that comes into her room at the end. Yeah, the the, the drug sex. Worker oh yeah, has yeah, a, mm-hmm. has a gun. So he has a gun. Mm-hmm. There's clearly a threat there. Like the flashing light right now for the murderer is Quentin and in all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, I could see it as being, yeah, we're we we're trying to kill her to get her money. Yeah. But I don't think she dies. I, I also love every every time Quentin sees her in a new outfit and like the way that he praises her and the the adjectives that right. he uses. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in this episode, she's just in this like, she looks like a piece of cotton candy. <laughs> yeah. Just like a pinkish, sort like yeah. loose fitting. And he's... The way that he oversells his praise of oh, her, yeah. I I find hilarious. Yeah, I think going back to what I th- Mike White said the show was about, which is uh, more of like class dynamics than anything else, I don't see any of the rich people dying. So that right. leaves like Portia... It leaves Lucia and Mia, who technically are guests at the hotel, right? Because they're on Dom's tab. Um, and I could see Mia being, I don't know why, but I could see it as like uh, do, the do, one who got away for Valentina. Do you think we're going to hear from Giuseppe no. ever again? Mm-mm. You think he's just in the hospital recovering? Yeah. He's, he's done. Uh, do you have any sort of perspective on the Vin- Valentina Mia thing? I, I I have not. I've uh, found it hard to be interested in the Valentina storyline. What, what's your quick take on the obliviousness of the other worker to Valentina's interest in her? Did you take that as like uh, understandable, or when she was like Rocco's my fiance, mm-hmm. were you like you really didn't? No, Valentina mm-hmm. liked you. Or maybe she's just like, you know, pushing through it. Um, I didn't get that sense. I No, like, I didn't either. Yeah, I felt but, like she was legit like, I love Rocco. We're engaged. Yeah. Isn't this great? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess I could see it just because Valentina herself is also kind of discovering that she's attracted to women, it seems like. Yeah, it just seems like such a hard character to... Like the way that she would smile at her yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. I I definitely was like, wow, for her to be engaged and be that oblivious. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't speak well to that marriage because she's not picking up on. Well, maybe she's just signals. so head over heels for Rocco. She doesn't see anything else. Yeah. Rocco. Uh, going back to the point on Valentina and Armand. Mm-hmm. Um. Because I saw that mentioned too, this, you know, is, is it problematic or whatever that both hotel managers have been gay? Both of them are kind of pursuing inappropriate predatory, predatory yeah. work relationships. Although Valentina's is, I think, uh, pr- pr- she's not the um, instigator in that. Well, Mia is. Well, yeah, but I mean, well, Valentina affects the the real life and the in the work 
of other people yeah. for her oh, own well, yeah. mm-hmm. attraction yeah. and sexual interest. So she is absolutely misusing her position um, in, in that way, but not in the way that I'm trying to remember season one, but isn't there Armand like literally puts his hands on like a, one of the bellhops or something, right? Like at some point. And then at some point he, yeah, gives them a bunch of drugs and they perform sex acts. On yeah. But, but clearly like the, the kid wasn't necessarily welcoming right. early on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I, I, and, and again, I think my, my feeling on that stuff is like, I'm not part of that community. So my voice does not matter mm-hmm. obviously, but if I'm looking at it from like an artistic standpoint, I do think that there's something to be said. And I, f- I forget, um, you know, we, we talked about it. Like I am somebody who sides more with Scorsese and Tarantino, even though I've seen pretty much all the Marvel movies, right? Mm-hmm. They're fine, mm-hmm. but they're theme park rides. And I have no problem saying that like going and seeing a Scorsese joint is going to be more rewarding than seeing any of the Marvel movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just as like an artistic storytelling perspective. Um, having having said that, I did hear a, another Marvel producer or something come out. And again, there's all these stories of like, which characters are LGBTQ? Which ones? <laughs> right. Which ones? And, and they were like, we're proud to announce that, you know, these, these this there's a couple in this new one. And what he said, the headline that I saw was... But he's gay. Yeah, was, we're excited because it centers on these characters and it came by organically. Mm-hmm. And if there's any value or truth in that statement, I that's where I would say, like, tell your story and just make it a good story and make the characters, like, organic to the story you're mm-hmm. telling. So, like, is this person bisexual? I don't know. what What's the story you're telling? Like, does it enhance the story? Does it enhance the character? Great. Mm-hmm. If you're doing it because you spun a wheel, and on that wheel right. is, like, the letters LGBTQ. Like, <laughs> you're checking a which box. Which one is this character right. going to be? LGBTQ? Yeah. You know, uh, then, then no. You know what I mean? And I feel like in season one of White Lotus – Who's the character that I remember the most from? It's Armand. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He was fantastic. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, was he a predator? Sure, but he was a great character. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he was a predator, I don't then apply to, you know, LGBTQ people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because, yeah, I'm not an idiot. And <laughs> it was a well-told story. Like, that wasn't his narrative. His narrative was not, I am, I identify as this and I am a predator. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, no, he's a great, fantastic character. Valentina is a tragic character. And I don't like that people have tried to compare the two. Well, season one had Armand and we got Valentina. It's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, they're not telling the same story. Like, thank God. You know, they're not just like, oh, here's another peppy LGBTQ, you know, hotel manager from Mm -hmm. the White Lotus. She has her own story and her story fits the tone and mood of season two. Mm -hmm. It's just much more layered much more nuanced you know yeah i think she's a wonderful character and i i think that in the white lotus it is 
like a false application of a good intention, which is I want more representation in my films and TV shows. Let's make sure that that representation is also positive and good Mm -hmm. and lacks any subtlety. Let's, let's make sure it's star Wars, right? Where black and white fear and love, like there it is. And all the people on the bad side are all, you know, the, the patriarchy and all the stuff that we rightly hate and all the people on the other side uh, identify as, you know, these, these other characters. I, I don't like that. So, yeah. Um, okay. So that's all I had for this episode. Anything else? Um, yeah. One second. I just got a, do you watch the previews for the next episode? I don't. I didn't. I don't have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. Um, should I? Was it? A- I don't either. Okay. Uh, but I came across two uh, uh, two things that people learned from the preview, sort of second and third handedly. One is that Ethan and Cameron are fighting in the preview, okay. physically fighting. Ethan, yeah, that fits. <laughs> and the other, this is from the subreddit, pointed out that Tanya in this last episode is wearing the same dress as the mannequin is wearing in the Godfather car that uh, is a prop when they're the DeGrassos are having lunch. The Godfather car that gets blown up. Yeah, and I was going to say, doesn't she blow up in the Godfather? And Portia, I think in this episode is wearing a Godfather shirt of the car blowing up. I also wonder when did they get all the Godfather merch? (laughs) Yeah. When when did they go to the Godfather Godfather gift shop? shop? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, Sorry. My son is trying to manage his Christmas list. Mm. Needs some. Logins. Um, okay. Final thoughts on this episode of White Lotus. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I also think that you could talk about the layering and intentionality. I do think that you can also look at the um, themes of the episode and tie them to the uh, titles of the of the episodes. Mm-hmm. So like abductions, not just with legitimate abductions, like Tanya and Portia, right? But that whole idea, like exploring all the different ways that you can abduct, right? In relationships. Again, if we're if if I'm getting way too literal, um, you have the literal abductions, but you do have like um, Harper uh, abducting Ethan's, you know, kind of jealousy, right? Mm-hmm. That 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 she is abducting his peace of mind in this in this uh, relationship in this episode, and I think that there's also like the you know those thematic elements too, which I really enjoy. So I feel like I'm. I'm not smart enough to you know analyze 
the the episode on those levels, but I think that this show is rewarding enough that there's enough there that again, when I do it, it feels cheap because I'm, I'm obviously stretching, but I feel like there are some people who watch these shows and that comes naturally to them that this show is smart enough and intentional enough that you can just kind of like, it's a, it's a prism. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think again, it's another great episode that kind of shows Mike White's abilities. And I think Mike White is also somebody that is like sneaky in their, I've liked his stuff. I've been a fan of Mike White, but it hasn't been until especially this episode of White Lotus where he's written, he's written and directed every episode, right? Yeah. Where I just feel like, man, this guy has really honed his craft. You know what I mean? He really knows what he's doing. And there have been some things that he's done that I've been excited about. And then I watch it and I'm like, yeah, that's, you know, that I don't get it. I don't yeah. know what he's trying to do there. But in the White Lotus is is one time where I feel like yeah, he's like a he's like a master. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that, and that's what I was kind of trying to say earlier when comparing the two seasons. But yeah, this definitely feels like um just kind of way above the school of rock weight class. And I love School of Rock. Yeah. You know what I mean? But not something that I would have expected from the guy that wrote what about Orange County? Yeah, exactly. Orange it's County, which sucks. <laughs> you, I, I need to go back. I haven't. I mean, I remember being so excited for it when it came out, which we must have been in college, mm-hmm. and being very disappointed after actually watching it. I remember watching it being like, yeah, Colin Hanks ain't, ain't a, he's not his dad. <laughs> yeah. That was my main takeaway, but I don't remember much. All yeah, right. Yeah, he's done some good stuff since then. But anyway, yeah, I'm excited for the season finale. Yeah. And really quick, you don't think Tanya's going to die? No. You said that. You think only the poor people are going to die. That leaves Portia, Mia, Uchia. Uchia. Would you also count Harper in there? Because without the money of... No, but who I would Ethan? count in there is Cameron. Because oh, they're broke. Oh, there you go. That's smart. And I could also see Bert dying, not poor. But, you know, he's had the concussion thing, which has seemed to go away. But he he's always complaining about his head. He's still got the big-ass bandage, bandage on top of his head. Uh-huh. And, you know, he ended the night very somber. I'm just going to go to sleep. You know, I could see another slip and fall thing. I will go on record then and say I'm going to put... I'll push my chips on Tanya. Mm-hmm. I think Tanya's going to die. Okay. Uh, I'll say Portia will live. Um, Lucia and Mia, definitely one of them is going mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. die. Mm-hmm. Um, I Jack? A, I think it's a coin flip. Are, are Jack and, the, and Quentin, they're not guests of the hotel, right? Exactly. Exactly. When so. I was thinking about it... I was like, they say in the beginning, right? Guests of the hotel have died, right? Rocco is the one that says it. Yeah, so that's why I I discount them, and I do believe that Cameron dies. Maybe maybe Ethan, maybe Harper, mm-hmm. only one of them. 
you know so i think daphne i think it opens with daphne probably finding cameron Mm -hmm. but i think she i'm gonna double down and say i think that she's planning her emancipation Mm -hmm. from him because the other thing that i will say is they're over overly affectionate nature Mm -hmm. how she never says no to cameron Mm -hmm. after knowing her character more totally feels like a put on oh for sure it it totally feels like she is not into that and she's doing it for him Mm -hmm. and again i think that she's planning her emancipation and and again i think that she's brought harper in to a certain extent like with the picture of her kids and stuff like that while also keeping it vague enough that she hasn't overtly said anything so i think she's going to keep harper alive but i think that she's orchestrating her emancipation from cameron Mm -hmm. and next episode we get the reveal that cameron has no money Mm -hmm. and that might spark the fight Mm. when he's like hey ethan i want you to cover this trip Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true because at some point there, I guess there has to be a rug pull on Ethan about the money. Exactly. I think, I think that that comes next. That Damn. that happens. And the, this last episode's only an hour. I think like the rest of the episodes. Didn't season one also like the finale was like forty minutes? It was like one of the shortest yeah. ones. It was just like focused. Boom, we're done. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, this definitely feels like, and like you, I feel like. I felt satisfied at the end of every episode, but if push came to shove, I would also be like, I could go for another 30 minutes of this. Yeah. Like, just fill, fill it out, man. Yeah, totally. This this I, show should have got the Stranger Things treatment, <laughs> where it's like the last two episodes are four and a half hours long. Give me a break, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Great, just great great balance of, of tone and, and, uh, and characters on this season. I'm excited for season three. Uh, no, I'm, I'm excited for the finale, and I'm so glad that he's, that he's keeping it going. And with him managing all of this, damn. Yeah. You know, and he did in a good turnaround. We we suffered through season two of True Detective. Right. All the other times, Nick Pizzolatto was like, I only have two years for this? Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Um, Mike White, yeah, just needs like, give me four good months on the beach. Right. <laughs> yeah. I got gotcha. you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.